Hi, I'm Katie. I'm with the We Shape podcast. We're here with Tyler, co-founder of We Shape, and Nina. Hi! Our <laughs> brand advocate and brand educator. Um, I'm excited today we have a guest. Yes. I love when we have guests. I just, I love to hear from other people, their stories, perceptions. Um, we'll introduce her in a moment, but I just want to check in with you guys, see how your week's going. How have things been since last time we met? <laughs> Pretty goofy. I got these sweet overalls I'm really excited about. I so. mean, they're amazing. <laughs> well, I live with you, so, you know, that's the ups and downs <laughs> of, of life and business and children and everything, so. Yeah, it's been a busy week. Um, the Talk last quarter of the year is our prep for all the people who want to lose weight that we're going to convince not to lose weight in the beginning of the year. <laughs> so we're doing a lot of work around that right now. Um, but I actually wanted to bring up something that came up last week for, or in the last few days for us. I, uh, I finished my last audiobook, and one of my favorite things is when I finish a book and get to pick a new book. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to pick something that's like on body image or you know toxic weight loss culture this time. And I found a book called You Are Not a Before Picture. You're Not a Before Picture by Alex Light. And within three minutes, I was like, uh-oh, and I paused the book, and then I texted you, and I said, girl, get get in the book now. Yeah. And then I sent it to Tyler, and I said, you need to read it, and then I've actually had a number of meetings with our team this week, and I was like, basically everyone in the company has to read this book. <laughs> Mandatory. And I do hope that we can actually get Alex on the podcast. That would be incredible, because she's... She's bringing up so many things that we bring up. She's talking about so many things that we've we've been in discussion about. And she's really shed a lot of meaningful light on a very toxic culture centered around body image and weight loss. And she's really debunking a lot of myths, bringing a ton of awareness. So, You know what my favorite part was thus far? It's just um, in the beginning. It's just a history of yeah. why these beliefs exist in the first place. And it just goes through situation after situation of someone telling people that they need to change how they look in order to fit some sort of standard, right? And I think the history for me is really helpful in understanding how systemic this is and how difficult it is for us to change that belief structure when it's been around for, what is it, Hippocrates was started this in like 3,000 years ago. And it's just all right? make-believe. We just it decided is. one day. And, you know, so... I, I really hope that we could bring her on. So, Alex, if you're listening, I'm going to send you this podcast. <laughs> um, but she just brings up so many valuable things. So we'll keep reading that if you if you guys will promote this book because it just people should buy this book, especially if you struggle with any type of body image issue, which basically everybody does, or if you have young children like everyone should read this book just so that you can go if you're going to go in and be on a diet you can at least have eyes wide open because that's what she's that's what she's saying is that like she's angry that she wasted so much of her life and so much of her time and money and money and energy, energy. attention yeah. yeah and so it's like I think she's just like fed up and she's like I'm just living free now and I want all of you to experience this freedom that I have on a daily basis where my mind isn't consumed right like Time is not an infinite resource for us. Mm. And so I think it's really important to remember that. And when you wake up in the morning, if you could even just like journal what you give your time to every day, what you give, and remember your thoughts take up your time. And so if your thoughts are how many calories did I eat? Did I get my workout in? Did I do this? Am I doing this? Is my it's, it's such a waste of time. And you know what's twisted about that? Our friend Forrest, who leads some of our mindfulness coaching, mentions this a lot. He says that more than 90% of our thoughts are repetitive and habitual. That means that 90% of our time yeah, and Dr. energy is Dota spent stuck in the same pattern over and over and over again. So that's why I think you should carve off some of that 90%, examine those things, and start trying to make some different choices. It's yeah, important. I think doc Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about that too, That's right. where it's like the same thought patterns over and over and until you go stop and know that the same thought patterns are happening. It's yeah. like awareness, right? And we actually had a, a really fun team meeting yesterday with the people at WeShape who develop our content. Amazing team. And we really- Hi team. They're actually here with us. <laughs> you can't see them. Sometimes I try to invite them on the camera and they're like, leave me alone. Um, but- uh, Anyway, we had a great meeting yesterday and I was and I was really talking about, you know, 
the content that we offer um, people who are following us and our community and sort of the importance of bringing awareness to this topic. But I also said, you know, sometimes bringing the awareness kind of sucks mm. because it's like kind of negative, right? <laughs> like it's like, yeah. um, but I also feel like we have an opportunity, especially in our brand and in our company to say, not only are we going to bring awareness, but there's also kind of a different way to do it. So I love that it's not just only sitting in the icky parts of it, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I did tell everyone yesterday, and I, I firmly believe this, until you sort of at least acknowledge those parts, and until you are actually aware that those parts exist, behaviors can't change. So it's it's kind of, it's a part of the process for us to have to talk about it and to bring awareness to it so that our mind can get out of that same thought pattern every day and have just a different way of thinking about things. So um, I think that's so important, like to me, if you want to change an aspect of yourself, you start with just sitting and questioning all the different things that you're doing and you become aware of your patterns, your beliefs, et cetera. And then you can fight that for a long time. And trust me, I fight it every single day about um, just accepting what is, right? Accepting those parts of yourself. And then also reaching deeper to find what feels truly authentic to you, right? And those steps are so important. But if you can't sit and just ask yourself the question, what is my intention in doing this? what is the reason why I'm doing this, then you'll never be able to change anything. So that's probably why we talk about awareness over and over and again. And if your reason over over again. is to lose weight or look different, it's not the reason. It Don't do that. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Like, And that's what I was saying yesterday in our, in our team offset. I was like, you know, when you start to bring awareness and understand all these toxic things about toxic weight loss culture, there's a part of you that wants to like throw the baby out with the bathwater and be like, we, do, we don't even need to exercise. And then I was like, okay, I got to pause and say, we can all agree that movement in the body is important. Moving your body makes you feel better. It, it's less pain. You sleep better. Like, But it's the relationship with the movement. It's the intention behind the movement that is critical. So I'm, I'm not here to, to throw out the product that took us three years to build. I'm not here to bash exercise whatsoever. I'm actually here to promote a healthy relationship with movement and with exercise and with working out. One that's rooted in a really meaningful, deeper intention than I need to adhere to a social standard to ex receive external validation. That's right. So we're just here to bring awareness to it, as always, every week. Uh, we're not going to get it right. We're just learning ourselves. So... Um, Remember that working out is not a punishment for the way that you don't like how you look because you want to change, right? It's a celebration of your body. And like you said, if, if you're mindful about it and you really connect with what that movement feels like, that's what gives you that deeper insight and awareness into what your body feels like when you're having emotional reactions, when you're having any sort of reaction at, at, at any point. So I think it's really important that we don't just move to take care of ourselves and to build strength and confidence and flexibility and the ability to move around in our daily life, but we use it as a tool to deeply connect with our bodies and start building the awareness of the sensations that we feel inside our bodies. It's really important. It's something I don't think many people think about. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm gonna, I wanna introduce our guests today. So I wanna say that part of the reason I was, I asked Nina, I said, I wanna bring a guest on who's like, who's like kind of still even in the teen years, right? Like someone who's who's really been raised in social media. So part of my background from years and years and years ago was in child and, adoles child and adolescent development. And part of the reason I went into that profession when I did was I, I had this moment of like zooming out of like our society and our collective whole. And I went, wow, there's, there's a lot of issues. And I could work with adults and help them unravel all the issues, or I could just <laughs> go to the source of why they're happening. And so I, I've always been fascinated with child and adolescent development because I do believe that obviously, like, you know, kids and teens are the future of, of our society. And so their beliefs and um, their understanding of the world is really important to me. And I always have thought about our company really um, inviting that that group of people into our community at some point. I know we don't have a lot of teens with us now, but I really feel like, I actually feel a lot of hope for the next generation. And I, w I wanted to just sit down with somebody and discuss what their experience has been like growing up in an era of social media, right? We all have social media, but we didn't have, I didn't, social media didn't come out until I was like in college. Yeah. So it's very different experience. So 
Um, anyway, let me introduce our guest today. Her name is Gianna. She is an aspiring nutritionist, CrossFit athlete, and eating disorder survivor. She's an activist at her core and does her best to bring awareness to body shaming and its detrimental effects in every way she can. So come join us, Gianna. We're excited come to have on you. Come down. Welcome. <laughs> Yay. That reference is probably really old for her, I just realized. Price is right? No? No one? Okay. Oh, I used to stay home from school and watch yeah. that show. Oh. They always said, come on down. But <laughs> oh, she's like, it. what are you talking about? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I have no idea. It's okay. Uh, Who is that? Well, welcome. Great start. Welcome, Gianna. Hi, thank you We're for so me. excited yeah. to have you. I, so I mean, excited. I told Nina like a month ago, I was like, I want someone who's like Gen Z in here. Like, I got to get in yeah. the minds and get the voice of this next generation out because the topics that we're discussing, the awareness we're bringing to toxic weight loss culture it, it, the future is your age yeah. group, so oh, yeah, we need you. Yeah. 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 So why don't, why don't you, yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, why don't you start with, do you mind just like, you know, sharing what whatever you feel comfortable with, but um, your story. Yeah. Like I want to know Absolutely. more about you. Yeah. And um, Okay, well, I am a high school student currently. I'm a senior in high school. And I started like becoming really fascinated with like eating disorder and eating disorder recovery when I was about 12 or 13. Um, I was exposed to diet culture really young. I was probably like nine or 10 when that became like a very like dominant part of my life. You know, like being exposed to social media so young, that was what I was exposed to so early. And so I developed really unhealthy eating habits at a really young age. Like what like, age do you think that started for you? Probably like sixth grade. So I was probably oh, like wow. 12. I was really okay. young. Do you remember what, yeah. like, like your first exposure? Like what would be kind um, of, or towards the beginning, like what, that first feeling where you're like, I'm not who I want to be and I want to change myself. Yeah, I, I think I got Instagram. I think that was the first time I got Instagram when I was like nine or 10. Mostly like I was like, mom, I want Instagram. Like so I could keep in touch with my family and my friends that had it at the time, and I really had no idea, and I don't think my parents had any idea either, like how much is out there and how much I'm gonna be exposed to at that age, and so I would see models and influencers and things, and I was like, oh, I don't look like that. Like, why don't I look like that? Like, that's weird. And so, you know, by the age of nine or 10, I was immersed in this, you know, all these models and these, influencers that were promoting toxic eating habits and diet culture and you know you know being 10 years old I don't know anything about nutrition and what my body needs and you believe what you see yeah right? exactly you're impressionable you're vulnerable to that and so yeah I got sucked into that really toxic um, environment really young and you know everyone around me you know was like oh my god like she's working out and she like she takes care of her body and she you know counts her calories and like she's so healthy and that was fuel for me to keep going with these toxic habits because from what people saw it was like oh my god she's so healthy you know she and that wasn't what it was at all but from what people saw you know and you know, people saw me counting calories and me working out at this young age and they were like wow like she takes care of herself she's so healthy and that was you know motivation to keep going with these unhealthy habits and it really so tell me yeah. more about the progression so you kind of get in social media around the age of 10 you're noticing models and other influencers you're seeing they look a certain way I want to strive to look this way mm -hmm. I'm gonna monitor the food that I'm eating and exercise with the intention of achieving this goal yeah. and then did it just kind of spiral and when did you when did it like you or someone out you know in your family or friends say whoa 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 Gianna this is actually not yeah. a problem it you know I didn't realize until a lot later what I had and I had an eating disorder called orthorexia which is like the obsession with being healthy essentially so you know being when I was younger you know I'd see all these you know, influencers and people on social media, you know, tracking their calories and weighing their food. And I remember someone for Christmas got me a food scale because they were like, she's so, you know, she loves health, she loves fitness. And so my family, they got me a food scale. Oh, wow. And, you know, that's, you know, no attack on them. You know, they thought that I was actually in a really good spot from what they saw. So that also allowed me to take off to a whole other level. I became so obsessive and I downloaded my fitness pal and it really just began to spiral into counting everything and weighing everything. And I, you know, didn't know what kind of nutrients I needed at that point in my life. You know, I was 
13, 12, growing, developing, and I was under eating. I wasn't eating enough, and I was so nutrient deprived, and my eating disorder slowly turned into a binge eating disorder where I was so nutrient deprived and so you know, starving basically at the end of the day that I would just binge and binge and binge at night. And, you know, every night I'd be like, okay, like tomorrow's reset, like we'll try again tomorrow. And it just, the cycle would just repeat day after day. And I kind of realized that this was not normal mm. when I was, you know, I was working out with my really good friend um, and we were working out together and she was a CrossFit Games athlete and she mentioned something about her binge eating disorder. And I was kind of like, oh my God, I have that too. And that's when it kind of clicked for me that I was like, I'm doing something wrong. Like mm. this isn't right, yeah. you know, so. So yeah. you just kind of were able to like, at that point see, I mean, before you had had that moment of like a download, were you like in a space kind of psychologically and emotionally where it was just kind of like the cycle of, I'm gonna try and then I'm yeah. gonna binge and mm -hmm. then I'm full of shame and then I'm gonna try again. And so it's, it sounds like it was kind of going from kind of obsessive behaviors around yeah. food and calories to binge, to shame, to lather, rinse, repeat. Yeah, absolutely. And then yeah. was there a point, was there ever a point where anyone in your family was like, we don't feel like this is a healthy relationship with food. I mean, it's difficult. Like la a couple weeks ago, we had someone on the podcast whose mom worked for a weight loss company. And the thing she was saying, I was like in shock. But then the other side of me was like, well, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, you know, that was completely normal. And what I said yeah. to that was like, when you're in the middle of that, and it doesn't feel right inside, but everyone around you is like, that's cool, this yeah. is what we do, then you kind of override that internal yeah. voice. So was that kind of what was happening for a while or was there eventually a point as time went on where like maybe some some people that were close to you were like, okay, Gianna, what's going on here? I think, I mean, a big like motivator for my eating disorder was my dad's partner at the time when I was maybe like nine or 10, she was doing bikini competitions and so me being, you know, nine, I watched her counter calories, eat super strict. And, you know, I like vividly remember her eating like asparagus, rice and chicken, like for every single meal. And she had very strong beliefs around health and fitness. And she always told me, you know, from a young age, like if you're gonna eat this, you're gonna get fat. And so it was always like the fear mm. of becoming fat growing up. Like that was a huge fear I had because, you know, I was told you eat this you're gonna be fat you don't want to look like that like you don't want to look like that and you know so I don't think my family really realized how bad it was because from what they saw you know I was I was doing CrossFit and I was you know tracking my food and you know I was just she just really likes being healthy you know yeah. so I don't think they really saw the extent that and it I was. also think that these these conversations and this awareness um, and these dialogues are kind of just now starting, right? So like, yeah, I can think back absolutely. to when you were that age and I was probably in parallel doing some, Nina and I mm -hmm. are probably doing some yeah. sort of, the longer I stayed asleep, I was not eating. Yeah. I was probably like, whoo, I just, if I nap longer, I'll be eating less, you know? I mean, the toxic <laughs> Well, when she said that yeah. the rice and, uh, oh, that was your meal. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely. broccoli, actually. I don't think it was asparagus. Yeah, but. no, asparagus. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was. Okay, it was. Sorry. Well, that's a classic. I mean, that's that, that's yeah. the crazy thing is like NPC, like bikini models, are they do a certain like, I mean, it's a deprivation diet oh, is absolutely. what it is. And like, yeah. that's their that's their sport. I don't mean to, to knock on anybody who does something they're passionate about. Yeah. But toward the end of that, even people who participate in it will say, this is not sustainable. This is not healthy. Like, this is not what we do. They, it, to some degree, dehydrate themselves even towards the end mm -hmm. to get that, like, really yeah. high score. And that's not how they live their lives. They generally go back to a different eating pattern afterwards. But that particular lifestyle is exceptionally strict. And if you were witnessing that at such a young age and thinking, well, this is what you eat if you want to yeah. look like this, this way. Yeah. And then the way our culture rewards that behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, she tracks. Oh, she exercises. Mm -hmm. She's yeah. on top of it. That's great. You know, yeah. we really reward like almost something to be proud of. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, can, I, can so I say something about yeah, that real quick? Absolutely. I think it's so important to highlight it is like when someone starts to achieve success through their efforts and they're rewarded by mm -hmm. society, it gives us this motivation to continue that toxic behavior. Yeah. And I am no stranger to this myself in people being like, wow, look at all the exercise you're doing and look at all the discipline you have and blah, 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 blah. And it gives you this kind of false sense of confidence around holding up that narrative until you realize 
oh crap, this is just the same exact thing in a but different skin. But in the skin. opposite direction. Yeah, it's just a different skin, right? And it's 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 really um, an interesting one because I feel like um, not very many people have that experience as much as people who maybe don't actually take the steps towards that, right? And when you do, it's really hard to look at yourself in the mirror and overcome that because there's been so much praise. There's been so much praise telling you how amazing it is that you do all these things. And it takes a lot to unwind that. Well, so because what you to have you, to do seriously. is you have to, <laughs> you have to listen to the internal voice inside that is in discomfort. But the layer on top of that discomfort is um, motivation for the validation that you get. Right. So once you stop valuing the motivation due to the praise that you're getting, I do really believe that beneath that is complete discomfort. Insecurity. Um, yeah. yeah, like waste of, like I feel like I'm, all my energy's going to this, it feels obsessive. Um, I think that the outer layer of that though is, look at all the positive feedback I get. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. that's gonna sustain me, but I think that can't last forever. It's the same, it still comes from not loving ourselves fully, right? Yeah. And disliking parts of ourselves and we make those decisions and we get praised for it. And so if you look at how sick that is, I act out of self-hatred, I get praised for it, so I continue acting out of self-hatred. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Like again, I commend you on um, recognizing that so, so yeah. early. It like makes me like, part of me is happy that I, you know, went through this so young and I'm not going through this later in life, but the other part of me hurts that, you know, my younger self had so much of her childhood taken away from her mm. because she was struggling with this for so long because like I was doing very like adult things at such a young age and it's like I was stripped of so much of my childhood at the same time so it's a really it's a really shitty situation to yeah. think about yeah yeah I mean it's hard because you can't you know Again, time is not something that we get back. Yeah. And so I think that part of my desire to reach people that are much younger than me is because for every time we're able to come on here and talk about this, and every time you're able to share your story, we don't know how many people will hear that and then go, I need to acknowledge this problem that I have. I need to get help. I need to... Uh, you know, change the internal value system that I have inside. I need to change my social media, whatever it might be, even if it's something small, it's like a gift to them, right? Like they get something back. And mm -hmm. so it, it, it is a sad thing to acknowledge that you had to go through something like that in order to help somebody else. Um, so I just want to like offer, you know, empathy for your yeah. experience because you did lose part of your childhood yeah. for that. And mm -hmm. Um, what's the saddest part about that, and that's why I keep coming on this podcast, is because it was completely normalized. It was mm -hmm. completely out of yeah. your control. You were a child being mm -hmm. influenced by social media and adults. You were literally just doing what was paved in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. And so tell me about the point where you said, okay, I'm not gonna do this anymore. Yeah. I, I gotta get help, I gotta, get, I gotta make a life, I, 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 I'm going down a bad path. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I had, become really immersed in CrossFit and you know I wanted to take it to the next level I really wanted to start competing especially because my you know my current best friend like she was a CrossFit Games athlete and so she was a big inspiration for me and you know I kind of realized I was like my the way that I'm eating is not benefiting my performance and I kind of noticed that when I would work out and I would get super lightheaded or you know my numbers weren't as big as they were you know lifting wise and I was like, there's something like not right here. And so I would talk with my friend. And when I kind of realized that she was struggling with something similar to me, we almost kind of made a pact together like to get better like for ourselves. And so we could continue doing the sport that we love yeah. so much. So you guys just kind of slowly started to peel apart the layers mm -hmm. and, and unravel the dysfunction and yeah. the disordered thinking in the way that you were yeah. approaching food. Yeah. And it was really helpful. You know, she was 15, I think. I was 13 at the time. So... I think like having someone who I looked up to so much struggling with something so similar to me was so comforting. Yeah. You know, because there was so much of me that was like, I'm the only person that's going through this. Like mm -hmm. this is because people didn't talk about that kind that's of stuff. That's what I was going to ask yeah. you is like, I'm trying to remember back to, to my friend group. And I do believe that one of the girls I hung out with did have an eating disorder, but I never knew. And then she told me years later and I like remember being in shock and I, 
and remember feeling like I wish I could have done something to help her, but I had no clue. Because mm-hmm. it is it something that you can pretty much keep pretty s- secretive, and so people don't really know. Yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, I think I did a pretty good job masking it mm-hmm. as I'm just super healthy. Yeah, you know, because you know, orthorexia was the obsession with being healthy, so it does come off as you know not a very bad thing and then you know the binging that I would do was in secret like I don't even think my family knew that I was going through that because it'd be super late at night you know when everyone was kind of to bed and I would you know just binge until I was like in physical discomfort and Mm. I don't think anybody knew that like that was happening yeah so yeah so so I mean again like with your peer group even outside of that one friend that you guys had discovered that you were experiencing the same thing so this was not really talked about like did you ever find out later that other friends were experiencing similar things I did yeah I mean as the more that I like came out and started talking about my eating disorder a lot of people did like come to me and be like I'm struggled with this or I am struggling with this and it you know but yeah I mean also like my friend group at the time you know it was super normal to like not eat breakfast and like I mean even still I have a lot of friends that like don't eat breakfast or like don't eat the whole day and it's just like that behavior in teenagers especially has become so normalized like oh she doesn't eat breakfast like that's just like a a teenager like Mm. thing and I'm just like that is such a normalized behavior yeah and it like it sucks because like all my friends did that yeah you know and it's such a normalized like eating disorder type behavior that a lot of people do and I don't think they realize yeah so I have a question (laughs) and I'm curious what you think about this so given the fact that it sounds like, you know, uh, culturally speaking, uh, social media was really influential mm-hmm. in your life and was really steering you down this path that created this sort of negative self-image and could ultimately, I wouldn't want to say res- was responsible for, but definitely played a role in your mm-hmm. eating disordered uh, behaviors. I have curiosity, what age do you think kids should have social media? That's a really hard question. So like I have a nine-year-old daughter at home. Yeah. And a five-year-old daughter at home. I've got two younger siblings. They're 12 and 8. And, you know, they've got, like, YouTube and, you know. And I had social media pretty young. And I, like, kind of got Snapchat and, like, TikTok, which was musically at the time, like, before my parents. Like, they didn't know. I kind of, like, snuck that. Um, And now, like, what I see with my younger siblings, my parents kind of more monitor their social media, which is something that I really wish that they did for me, Mm -hmm. especially with, like, all the stuff that I was exposed to at such a young age. I really wish that my parents had monitored my social media use. Um, But it's hard because, like, my sister, she's in sixth grade. She just went into middle school, and she's like, I really want Snapchat. All my friends have Snapchat. Yeah. And it's like... You know, it's, like, one thing for them to, you know, communicate with their friends and, you know, just be able to, like, talk with their friends. And it's a whole other thing, you know, because you don't even know what's out there and what they're going to be exposed to. And, you know, Snapchat, I remember, like, was so shitty in middle school because there was a thing called the Snap Map where you could, like, see what your friends were, like, where they were. And all the time I would see my friends when they would hang out without me in middle school. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it was like, there's, other problems. Oh, yeah. there's other problems. the worst thing ever. And so I'm just like, I don't want my sister to have to go through what I went through. Yeah. Like, even in terms of, like, not the whole eating disorder thing, just, like, shitty middle school stuff that I went through. So it's a really, you know, but then you don't want to deprive her of that social life. So it's, it's like. It's very complicated being a parent mm-hmm. because I think that. Um, you don't want your kids to be excluded, right? Because especially once you get past nine or 10 years old, mm-hmm. you, you shift from this um, world of like your parents or everything to more of your own internal experience, connection and social peer relationships are like the most important. And so it's a fine line. And yeah. we've talked about this a number of times and I, I don't know what we'll end up doing. Luckily right now our daughter goes to a school where there's actually no cell phones allowed. And, and it goes through eighth grade. So I'm like, we'll deal with this in a few years, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I feel like, you know, it's it's tricky, right? Because social media can actually be used for, for amazing things. And I actually feel the worst for your generation because I feel like you guys were like the testers for us, right? Like the it was kind of, yeah, yeah, you guys were the guinea pigs. Mm-hmm. So my hope for the future is that people are going to um, – maybe we can develop like this is like the time in my opinion to start learning how to develop new relationships with social media 
yeah. that create, you know, not just like here's social media, use that, use it, right? It's like we can we can acknowledge that there's healthy behaviors mm-hmm. and healthy perspectives and healthy intentions behind social media. So I don't know if you have anything to say to that, but if you have like like you know a ten or twelve year old who's on social media right now, mm-hmm. what would you say to that ten or twelve year old? I mean, it's just like with me it's like it's so easy to believe everything you see at that young age and see these people with tons of followers and just like idolize them almost like Mm -hmm. oh my god they have so many followers like they must know everything like they must be just like and I just like what I mean if I was talking to my sister about this like don't believe everything you see and don't you know because I even know now that she likes she's on YouTube and she like follows these morning routine videos and she kind of like I've noticed that she kind of copies their little morning routine videos and like mm. it's the same like little skincare products as them and it's all fun and games until someone is promoting a really toxic and negative behavior and she sees that and she wants to copy that yeah it's normalized. so she can be just like her favorite influencer and that's what's really scary to me yeah I, what, what's difficult is like the younger we are the more we learn by mirroring those mm-hmm. that we trust around us. Um, literally, like there's neurons in your brain called mirror neurons that take your outside world and say, hey, this is how we express ourselves. And what you put your attention on is how you're going to show up. And it's such a challenging thing. I appreciate you saying, don't believe everything that you see, because that's a great tool. But is it the responsibility of a child to yeah. regulate this, yeah. no, no, not at all, right? It's the responsibility of the people building these technologies to be more mindful of how they're wielding mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And like, frankly, I think we just need to bring more awareness to that. Yeah, I think that the more we can foster connection with self, I don't know, this is a theory, that, because I feel like as an adult, some of the work that I've had to do is say, okay, your outside influence is at a volume 10, and your ear, it's like if I have two dials next to each other, and your internal voice is at a two. So we gotta, we gotta actually flip that, right? So it's not, we can't pretend that we're not gonna have any outside influence. That's just not humanly possible in 2022. And so it's like, how do we get a younger, this younger generation to sit with self and have that internal voice sort of overpower the messaging? I don't know the answer to that, but I do think it's something that's really important. And I know even last week we talked about like we challenged all of our listeners to go unfollow five people that the only clue that they had to think lean into was I'm looking at this account and I'm starting to question my looks or I'm feeling bad. Like if it evoked a negative feeling about self while looking Mm -hmm. at the post, there was your signal. Mm -hmm. And then I think Nina offered, uh, told Connor to put in the show notes, like five people that offered positive influence, right? So there's a number of people that I love on social media, on Instagram, for instance, who will post like a, like what would appear to be like a really flattering photo, but then they have like a side by side that's like, but actually I look like this too. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like exposing this idea that you can be filtered and that bodies just when you move look different and so I don't know I don't know if you have any additional comments or advice or anything just about social media because I do think for your age it's like it's so it's so prevalent yeah I mean I think we put too much like responsibility on the viewer and not as much on the creator of the content you know Mm. like exactly what you were saying like that's so much responsibility for a child to have when we really should be holding the creators accountable for that and you know social media is just like it's our most perfect selves and that's what's presented all the time like it's a one percent of our lives that everyone sees and we never see you know the other 99 percent of people's lives on there so and it's so easy to get sucked in Mm -hmm. right and just look at pictures and know that Mm -hmm. like i know that when i look and so I have really just been on a personal quest to unfollow a substantial amount of celebrities and influencers and people whose life, like when I look at their Instagram account, doesn't really seem all the way real to me because I'm just like, this is not adding value to my life anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't yeah. participate all the way. And I, I did talk about this last week too, like some of the, the biggest people who have influence in our society today I do feel disappointed because I feel like they hold a great responsibility and they're not taking that responsibility seriously because yeah. these young girls, like, I, I mean, I I don't know. I just, I feel sadness for that. I feel like they need to 
if you have a huge following, you have a responsibility to create content that is not going to make people feel like shit about themselves. That's not going to just portray the 1% of your life through 13 filters. <laughs> yeah. uh, how long can that all last, though? Because to me, that's that's the the thing that everybody goes through in their life is they they seek outside themselves to find validation, happiness, whatever. And eventually, at least in my experience, the journey comes to a point where you go, it's not working, right? And I know there's always the next level up, you know? So for whoever's the most famous social media stars in the world, what's the next level up? I'm gonna be a billionaire, I'm gonna start this, I'm gonna do that or whatever. But at some point, they are either going to die feeling you know, empty inside, but pretending that they're not, or they're gonna go, hey, this is not helping me. This is not helping anybody else, you know? And I just see so many people shifting their attention, their belief systems and their consciousness right now towards more of uh, service of others and connecting with themselves that I just, I question how long it can last. I really do, mm -hmm. I really do. Well, that brings me hope. I was gonna say something that I wanted to come back to about what you said about how much, um, requirement we place on the viewer to have discretion versus the content creators and the people who are building these these apps and stuff. Um, because one of the things I came across in my travels on the internet um, is that, you know, the algorithms that are written, if you interact with a piece of content that supports any kind of certain imagery, that algorithm is hard at work giving you more images of that. I recently started watching a new thing and like there were thousands of videos that popped up in my feeds right away because of that. And it wasn't something I normally interacted with. And I, I hadn't seen it so um, clearly previously because most of what I tend to view in my social media journey is like kind of the same sort of stuff, friends, et cetera. And so when I started watching this one video and then I saw like a bunch more videos pop up in my For You pages, et cetera, I was like, oh my God, I trained my algorithm for what I wanna see every single time I use social media. I didn't realize it was quite that instant. I thought yeah. it was a little more general. Like they're just like, yeah, you're a young woman in this age bracket and look at these things. But it's so targeted and so specific. And so we have, I wish it wasn't our responsibility, but we have this power to change your algorithm and retrain it. And I know your algorithm is kind of currently going through that right now where my, it's like, what do you wanna see? My <laughs> yes. Instagram is very, cause I'm unfollowing probably like I don't know, like, 20 she, people a week at least. What does she want? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's the, the truth of it is like what we feed ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can feed ourselves positive things if we choose to get a little little piece of effort. And um, it's a hard job. And I wish it wasn't only our responsibility, but like that's where it's got to start. Can I say something about that? Sorry, this just fires me up because like the reality is that the algorithm of the product that we're using, any social media app, is designed to get us to be addicted to the application, to be there more often, to use it more often, because our attention is valuable to those companies. This is true in food products. Food products are designed to be palatable, to hit us with dopamine so that we come back and we eat more, so we have a higher amount of money that we give that company over the lifetime. Products in general are designed to get people hooked on them, right? Now, is there a good intention behind that or a bad intention behind that? That's, that's an ultimate question there. But I think at the end of the day, it's really important, like you said, to be mindful of where we put our attention, even if we're in this, within these products, and start putting our attention towards things that uplift us rather than things that take us away from ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, the collective whole gets to decide the things that we value. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what we get to decide. If and it, tomorrow we ignored all that, right, it would all go away. Yeah. It, wouldn't, it, would, it would all go away. The market wouldn't yeah. exist. Yeah. Let's so, dismantle some systems, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> um, so, Gianna, tell me yeah. about your relationship with exercise now. Because I also know, outside of even the food portion of it, a lot of people, like in our community, a lot of the products that we ma even made in the past yeah. were so targeted with unhealthy body image, um, un you know, really centered around weight loss and achieving a certain, like a, a goal. Um, so how has your relationship with exercise shifted? Because like when you were in the midst of the eating disorder, did you feel like you were exercising to look a certain way and achieve a certain goal? And did that shift over time? So help me understand how the relationship with exercise has evolved through the eating disorder until now. Yeah, I, I mean, before I was introduced to CrossFit, or not introduced, you know, my dad opened a CrossFit gym when I was, I think, four. So I definitely grew up in the environment of fitness. But I didn't really start doing CrossFit until I was about 12. And prior to that, I did a lot of 
you know, exercise simply to look a certain way. Cause that's, you know, when I was 11, 10, that's what I thought exercise was for, was to look a certain way. And when I started doing CrossFit at age 12, I honestly, I fell in love with it. And like to this day, I love uh, being able to challenge my body and discover new things about it and what it's capable of. And I love being able to push my body and push myself. And over the years, I've fallen in love with movement, not to look a certain way, but to feel a certain way because I do love the way that it makes me feel. And when I feel good about myself, you know, like it brings so much confidence to me. And I did relapse in my eating disorder when I was about 15, right before COVID started. Mm -hmm. And I really had to like reevaluate, you know, what was fitness to me, you know, because now, you know, I was so immersed in like the competition aspect and the really competitive aspect of it. And it wasn't sustainable for me being a student. And I really had to reevaluate you know, do I want to be in this really unhealthy position where all I think about 24 seven is what I'm eating and how I'm training, or do I just, you know, want to take a step back and just love the movement that I'm doing and not put all this outside pressure on myself to perform a certain way and just move to move, you know? So like during this time, you know, when you were struggling with the eating disorder and exercising a lot, can you think back to what percentage of your daily thoughts were just at that? Oh my God, like all of them. <laughs> like yeah. every single thought was probably about food. And if it wasn't about food, it was about training. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like, you and know, being so young and, and I still love competing to this day. Like I love, you know, the environment of competition and I love, you know, being able to push myself to new like limits that I didn't know I was capable of. But at that age, 15, I think, was when I got really competitive with it. I wasn't balancing it right. I didn't know how to balance that while still being a student. And so that's kind of where I relapsed because I didn't know like the importance of my mental health and taking care of myself and being, you know, constantly thinking about what I was eating and training two to three hours a day. Like it just, it wasn't sustainable for me personally at that time in my life, but I was so hyper-focused on this goal that I had that I nothing else really mattered to me at that time, so. And do you feel like a new sense of freedom or liberation that your thoughts aren't all going to that? Do you still mm -hmm. feel yourself like, oh, I'm going down this path, I gotta be mindful, or are yeah. those parts still with you? Yeah, and I think it gets easier, obviously, you know, like the whole, my whole competitive, era was about three years ago so it is it gets easier but it never goes away fully and that's what I've also just realized with eating disorder recovery in general is like it's never really going to go away and it's going to be something that I'm going to work with for the rest of my life and you know but I do like I do learn from those days where it's harder for me and I you know figure out you know what's not working for me what do I need to change so this can benefit me because yeah sometimes I do have thoughts that are really toxic and I kind of I do let them take over sometimes and I do have to take a step back and you know realize where is this coming from you know why am I thinking this way and what can I do to shift my viewpoint on this so what would you say to a maybe a young girl or yeah let me let me start there what would you say to a young girl who's listening to this right now or watching this on YouTube and who's like, oh my gosh, like I think that I have something maybe now that I didn't even realize that, you know, it's kind of like when you found mm -hmm. out with your friend, you were like, whoa, that, yeah. I do that too. I didn't know that was a problem. What would mm -hmm. you tell them? I mean, it's so, it's so normalized, you know, and you know, people don't, I mean, now I see on social media, a lot of people talk about their eating disorders, like including myself, like I felt a lot of inspiration to share my story on social media publicly. And, you know, when I was younger, people didn't, do that and so it was really easy to feel alone and yeah. like there was something wrong with you even and just like the the biggest thing I can say is that you are not alone like there are so many people who are struggling with you like alongside with you that you don't even know yeah. you know like you don't even know how many people feel the same way and just haven't vocalized that yet so like getting past that first mm -hmm. fear of acknowledgement and asking for help yeah and there's like so mm -hmm. much freedom and and help on the other side yeah. of that yeah absolutely okay, I think that so, yeah. speaks to what people 
often just feel missing in their lives is that connection mm -hmm. to others. And that starts with um, eliminating the fear of being vulnerable yeah. and honest. Mm -hmm. And um, kudos for you for all these <laughs> insights at such a young Thank age, you. by the way. Like Thank I heard you, so you say much. a few beautiful things is like, I used to think that exercise was to change how I looked. I'm like, most people mm -hmm. think that exercise is to change yeah. how they look, not to connect with their bodies and, and help mm -hmm. them feel better. And that's a that's a really big deal to have that yeah. kind of insight at such a young age. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you should be proud of yourself. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I mean, I still have days where I'm like, oh, like I'm not as ripped as I was a few months ago. Like I still have those thoughts where I'm like, and also just being in a gym with so many incredible athletic, strong women, it is hard to like, not compare yourself to them sometimes because like I have so many women in my gym that I look up to and I'm just like amazed by and it is hard to not compare myself to them sometimes but I just like you know everyone's at different spots in their journeys and it's like you know I'm 18 I'm also I'm five foot three like I am a lot smaller than a lot of the girls in my gym and I have to take that into account that like everyone's body is different and everyone's body requires different amounts of movement or different amounts of fuel. And it's like, you know, no one, if we all ate the same and trained the same, we still would not look the same. For sure. And I constantly have to remind myself that when I start to compare myself to other women that I work out with. And know. I said this last week on the podcast, like we're not born with the understanding that we need to look a certain way, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like that is a construct that was presented to us by society that we believe. Mm -hmm. So if, if it's not, inherently true that means that there's an opportunity to have a different belief yeah. so i've been trying to remind people that too that bodies change mm -hmm. you know especially for women as you age mature maybe you have children maybe you don't like everybody's body is so mm -hmm. different and i think what happens in our society especially through change is what i mean by change like by when your body is changing is that we got to keep it the same Right. And it's like, well, why don't we actually celebrate what your body is doing, yeah. you know? And I think that's a really hard thing to do, and I've struggled with that myself after having two kids. And um, so I think it's important to, to bring awareness to it, but I, I do appreciate you kind of sharing your story with us because I feel like I want younger girls to be speaking out about this and saying, like, enjoy social media, have fun. But I still want to deliver the message that you get to choose you know, who you follow and mm -hmm. what happens when you see that person. And it's okay to just unfollow somebody. You're not mm -hmm. rude. You're not being disrespectful. If yeah. you, I, I do agree with you though. I think it's a co-collaboration of creator and, and, yeah. and, and user. And I think that, um, especially for young children, the parents have to be a part of that co-collaboration mm -hmm. and really instill uh, positive social media habits but I'll say you know my dad has always told me what does my dad say Tyler more is caught than more taught. Is caught than taught so that means that the parents have to be practicing those beliefs as well right so um, but I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing mm. your story is there anything else you want to say before we go but like just to any of the teenage girls out there I mean I I mean, I was kind of thinking about, you know, when we talk about social media and I did start sharing, you know, my my process with my eating disorder recovery when I was about 14. And, you know, like I said earlier, I was 15 when I relapsed and I was still posting about my eating disorder recovery, but I don't think anybody knew that I had relapsed. Mm. You know, I started counting my calories again and I started falling down this hole because that's when I started, you know, competing again. And again, like no no hate or attack on anyone that does compete you know I think it's uh, incredible and just you know for that time in my life it wasn't working for me and mm -hmm. that's all that it was but um nobody knew that and I think that's like a huge thing is like even if someone is posting you know they're perfect all the time and they're you know doing great like you don't know what's going on behind closed doors mm. you know I was still posting about my eating disorder recovery and you know you know like self-image and I was still posting about all that stuff while I was relapsing and still struggling and kind of when quarantine hit and I was you know alone I really that was when I really just like completely reassess and mm. was like something's got to change here so I mean I think people know. don't recognize how much energy it takes to hold up a story 
Mm-hmm. I think it's until we can go, I'm not going to hold up the story anymore. I'm just going to be a human in the world. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to try to like attach to a specific identity mm-hmm. that then I have to project outward so that people see. Yeah. Right. So I think it's a little bit of the deconstruction of that, of I'm an athlete or I have this body shape or I do this diet or I do this thing. It's like we attach to these identities and create a whole story about who we are. We all do it. Yeah. And then we have to withhold that story. Mm -hmm. And when you have to hold on so tight to a story, there's not a lot of room to just say, I'm a human and I'm actually struggling right now. Mm -hmm. And so if I hear you, what I'm if we can take anything away from today, it's that the silence actually creates more of a a bigger problem Mm -hmm. and it's that ability to face and have the courage and and be brave enough to say yeah I do have this story yeah my Instagram page looks like this yeah I have been holding up this narrative and I'm not going to do that anymore and I'm just going to be authentic authentic and honest with people and I know that that's a, a huge act of bravery but I think if we can all lean into that a little bit I think maybe there would be a little less suffering and people could get more help and bring more awareness to this problem. Yeah, absolutely. I, I so agree. I, yeah. I wanted to say one more thing that mm-hmm. you pointed out and that kind of ties into the social media and attention. And I just want to highlight it because uh, I think it's so important. We're talking about where you put your attention in social media and saying, don't choose this, choose that. And you said something really powerful that the thoughts don't go away. Right. Mm-hmm. If anybody out there has struggled with anything, then you know that the thoughts don't mm-hmm. go away. Yeah. And just like with social media, we can choose what we want to put our attention on. So when that thought arises that's negative, are we going to focus on that and breed more of that? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to look at it and go unsubscribe and yeah. you know unfollow mm-hmm. and try to put more of our attention on the thoughts that really nurture us? So, and not yeah. associate yourself or your identity with that thought. Mm-hmm. You are not your thought. And a lot of our thoughts that are in our mind were actually never put there by us, (laughs) which is the entire premise of this podcast, that no one was born feeling like shit about themselves. We learned those behaviors, and I want to Mm -hmm. help people unlearn unlearn those behaviors, including myself. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, we were not made to, you know, spend our whole lives trying to look a certain way. That's, like, not why we were put on this planet. Yes. So, Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much yeah. for joining us, Gianna. I've, it's so just much. been such a privilege to be able yeah. to talk to you. And I really um, commend your bravery for being able to be out there and share because I think the more people that, that do that, the more that other people feel like they don't have to be silenced and hide behind that wall, hide behind that Instagram page, right? And so thank you so much. Yeah, we really appreciate you, so much you being here. Me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's show. Now, before you go, it would mean a lot to us if you could take a moment right now to subscribe to the podcast and then leave us a review. This helps spread the word so more people can feel lighter by shedding one belief at a time. Also, we want to hear from you. So if this episode impacted you or you have any questions that you think would be great for us or any of our future guests, please feel free to email us at podcast at weshape.com. And finally, if you want to try WeShape's different approach to health and fitness, remember that right now you can sign up for WeShape's Feel Good Challenge and get access to everything WeShape has to offer for free. Just click the link in our podcast description or go to weshape.com challenge to sign up.